Welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 96. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by the master chef himself, Mr. Mark Pearson Freeland. Good morning. Good morning, Mike. I've never been described as a master chef, but I do feel like that's pretty applicable and relevant for this week's episode. So thank you so, for calling that out. <laughs> n- n- no problem. You, you, you can be our Gordon Ramsay uh, for this show. I, mean, <laughs> I tell you what, how great is this to, that we finally got around to Tim Ferriss. So uh, in the last show, we did his iconic book, The Four-Hour Workweek, and that was a delight. Um, personally, one of the, the most important books I can map on my uh, entire career, actually. It's kind of up there with Good to Great uh, by Jim Collins. But we haven't finished with Tim yet, have we? No, you're right. If, if, if the four-hour work week was all about testing and learning, exploration of, of different skills, as well as Ferris's love of uh, trial and error, and experimenting. This week is taking that a little a little bit further, Mike, and actually showing us and you and me, as well as our listeners, about how we can actually go out and learn something new. You know, he's actually gone into a very specific area, <laughs> which we'll hear about in a second, and shown us how you can take those tips and tricks and apply them into the general world and specifically the way that you and I learn new skills, which I think is fascinating. It is. And isn't it um, a bit of a twist when you think about it that the modern knowledge worker, uh, which I'm going to, I'm going to assume a great deal of our audience uh, sits somewhere in there using a computer, um, working on ideas and products and services. Um, and yet, here's the thing to be successful, in the modern workplace. It is all about the adopting of new skills, new tools, like thinking about how many new tools that we use um, in our work, how many new skills and behaviors. Yet here's the twist mark. So if we're at the greatest rate of development and skills learning in history, yet what's really interesting is how little time and effort we spend learning how to learn. And I think, Mark, I want to pitch you. It's a bit like the communication thing. Communication is this essential thing that we all have to do, yet we spend so little time practicing, refining, and developing our communication. I think, again, a great irony is that this book is so powerful because it helps us learn anything, which is so essential, yet even Tim Ferriss himself admits, he says, well, there wasn't really many books that teach you how to learn. And even I remember, you know, throughout my life of learning, it's very one way, isn't it? You're sitting in front of a teacher and you're absorbing or you're listening. And actually, you never get, it never gets broken down in a way that Ferriss has done here um, in, in, in this book that actually is quite actionable and quite practical. Mm. And actually mm. it shows how to make it a little bit better, be more efficient mm. with your time rather than just absorb. Instead, it's, it's practice. But Mike, we haven't even revealed to our listeners yet what the focus of this week's show is all about. All right, come on, hit them up, Mike. All right. 
This week, number two in our Tim Ferriss series is The 4-Hour Chef, the simple path to cooking like a pro, learning anything, and living the good life. I mean, what a title. <laughs> it's a cracker, and you you must be all thinking to yourself, yeah, usually we, you know, we hear about these great men and women who are innovators and leaders in their field, and we're learning out loud together. Not sure that being a chef was um, uh, really what I expected, but here is the beauty of today's show. We're going to discover that learning to cook is the perfect vehicle by which we can essentially peel it back and learn how to learn absolute anything. And uh, I think, Mark, we should just jump into hearing from Tim himself. So where should we start? You're right. Let's hear about Tim telling us why the kitchen is actually the perfect example for maximizing your life. Following the principles in The 4-Hour Chef can improve one's life, even if they have no interest in food, because it's really a cookbook for learning disguised as a cookbook for food. So somewhat like Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance in that respect. And as it turns out, the kitchen is the perfect place, the perfect dojo for human potential and exploring all of the avenues by which you can improve learning because you engage all the senses. And I was not only a non-cook, but an anti-cook for my whole life. And until I watched my girlfriend show me how to cook by having me smell different things and tell her if they went together, it really opened my eyes to how much could be done in the kitchen that applied outside of the kitchen. My readers have been asking me for a book on learning, accelerated learning, for five years now. And the problem is that writing about learning in the abstract is really boring to write, and it's also really boring to read. So I needed a vehicle for teaching all these things that I've experimented with since college, whether that's you know smart drugs or language learning or what have you. And cooking, because I feared it for so long, ended up being the perfect starting point because I could take people from ground zero, being really insecure, really fearful, to really feeling completely self-reliant in the kitchen and all of the bumps in the road, all of the lessons learned throughout. And what I hope people take from it at the end of the day is believing wholeheartedly that they can become world-class, i.e. top 5% in the world in one or two things per year, not one or two things per lifetime. Well, that is a, that is a very big promise from the author, Tim Ferriss. Um, <laughs> there, but I like, I like the audacity of what he's challenging us to do. But I want to go a little bit uh, to the beginning of that clip where he talked about something and that big something was the fear. And I love the fact that he pulls out the thing that I think stops a lot of us learning something new, doing something different. It's that feeling when you say, oh, maybe I'll try and do this uh, thing. Maybe it's learning a new piece of software. Maybe it's mastering you know, he talks about tango. He talks about, uh, in his case, cooking. And we, we kind of dabble in it or maybe spectate uh, this uh, certain skill and it fills us with dread, this idea of, oh, my gosh, that looks so hard, that looks so complex. And it even gets worse sometimes, Mark, when we actually try a little bit and we go, oh, my gosh, that was so hard. And then we, we feel that dread that it's so big, so overwhelming, it's impossible. And we hate the idea of 
the chance we think to ourselves the chances of success are so insanely low. I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to fail. And what I love is he leans straight into that, into that feeling. And let's be honest, Mark, that is a feeling we all get when we approach something and it suddenly dawns on us. It's so big. It's so massive. It's so hard. And you're like, I'm never going to get it. Uh, It's so true when you just look at a volume of you know, skills that you need to learn. Let's, let's use something practical that all of our listeners are aware of, something like Photoshop. And you just think, ah, oh, there are so many different elements to it and I can't possibly get my head around it. Or maybe it's a video editing software or, you know, any other practical tools that we might use mm. at home, in the office. And it does, it, you just think, oh, well, that's, it's something I'm never going to do and I'm, I do have this dread every time I load it up because it's, a, 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 you know, a, a heads up display of confusion. And it puts you off. It does. And look, the, the thing that really happens when you're confronted with what feels like the enormity of any challenge, I mean, it's just so easy to kind of say to yourself, well, I uh, think I'll skip that ambition. And somewhere in the back of our mind, uh, we, we know we're kind of letting ourselves down, you know? Um, and it's this classic thing um, that um, when presented with that long march, we're pretty quick to like, oh, you know what? I don't think I need it that much. And we give ourselves all sorts of excuses to get out of it, or we just we just don't stick to it, do we? Yeah, the sticking to it is is one of the hardest things, particularly something that we found out in the Charles Duhigg and all of our habits series a few episodes back, Mike. You know, this concept of maintaining discipline with yourself is a real challenge. So the next clip, and I think we should dig into, is actually Ferris telling us a little bit about why people quit. So let's hear from Ferris. Tell us the value and the technique of making sure that you adopt those skills only when you're ready and you've got the right mindset. So why do people quit cooking? Let's say what? knife skills, very, really, really common reason for people quitting. Why? Because they're introduced too early. All right. So there are ways to postpone it at a point when the, when the student will be ready. Additionally, I don't care about why people pick cookbooks up. I care about why they put them down. And what I did right from the outset before even starting writing is I pulled my Facebook and Twitter followers to identify the five or six most common reasons people quit. So what do we have? Shopping, too much cleanup, too much expensive gear, et cetera. And it's very important whether you're trying to lose fat or whether you're trying to learn something quickly to only adopt one new behavior at a time. All right, so if you guys take anything away from this, let it be, well, first 80-20, and then secondly, one behavior at a time. So if you look at, let's say, the research that BJ Fogg has done at the Persuasion Lab at Stanford, or really anywhere else, if you try to take, for instance, people who are over the age of 50 and teach them to quit smoking by texting, your failure rate's gonna be sky high because you're trying to teach them two new habits, texting and quitting smoking. Yeah, isn't it interesting, um, take your time, but more importantly, um, what he's giving us a little bit of a clue of here is to tackle um, just one part at a time. And um, one getting to know Tim Ferriss's work, 
Um, I have always been struck by this um, this thought, which only really came up from um, reading his work, is that often, uh, you know, I'll give you a great example. People say, I want to lose, uh, you know, 30 pounds, 15 kilograms, right? They want to lose weight. So they say, I want to lose that in a month, okay? Now, actually, you know, that is a lot of weight for any individual to, to lose in a month. So they start out all guns firing for the first two weeks. They've tried to take on this enormous goal. They've tried to get it done really quickly. And they're trying to like work out. They're trying to change their diet. They're, they're doing intermittent fasting, doing all these things. And do you know what? Because they've taken on too many different challenges at the same time, they don't hit the goal and then they don't stick to it. And I think one of the most valuable lessons that I, I feel like I use on an insane uh, regularity in all parts of my life is just trying to break things down and tackling it one thing at a time. So I think the heads up that we're getting from Tim here is like, time it well, be ready. And when you do, just learn one new behavior at a time. And I think the applicability of this, whether in your personal or professional life, is massive. Because for me, the twist here, Mark, is if you, let's say you're trying to, to learn a whole new craft and art, a whole new skill, let's say it's made up of 10 different uh, smaller behaviors that um, kind of all come together into to the sum of things. Once you've learned the first one, you're off to the races and then you're willing and ready to take the second one. But when we try and do all 10 at, at a time, it's just overwhelming. So I love this idea that if we really want to stick to it, it's, it's really what he's teaching us here is it's about timing. It's all about timing. And I think, you know, another observation that I've found is you do, like you just say, Mike, you kind of punish yourself by trying to attempt something that's so big and trying to do it all at once instead, and which, you know, we all know is, is very difficult or impossible to do. You can't go from zero to 60 immediately. It takes a little bit of time to, to get there. And, you know, I think what Ferris is saying is it's all about timing. It's, I think there's also a bit of a mindset in there as well. You know, mm. this idea of to, to approach or accept the timing is a key factor. You sort of have to reset or reconsider how your mindset is towards that skill or that problem. And I feel like for me, where Ferris's book, Before Our Chef, is really coming to light, even at this early point of the show, it's saying, okay, well, think about it. Imagine yourself in the kitchen. You're not going to go from where I am right now to being Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> it took Gordon right. Ramsay right. a number of number of years as well as practice and training and teaching others. So he knows the most efficient mm. way of doing things. For me, let's just start with buttering bread. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because in these, uh, in just kind of setting up the, the book, The 4-Hour Chef, what we're kind of seeing is, you know, he's sort of called out the fact that we all um, – can really learn new things if we just get over that fear that he called out so well at the beginning. I mean, it's so interesting, um, you know, 
obviously I fear things in life and, you know, adopting new skill, some certain skills seem overwhelming. Being a chef is not one of them. So it was quite interesting to hear a guy who's so, so smart, so accomplished, and he's like, oh, yeah, um, yeah, being a chef was, was really scary. Um, he, he goes on and he admits that learning to swim at, at, at an adult age was really scary. And I'm, I'm, I marvel at that because I think if we all search inside of ourselves, we all have the, these fears and, um, you know, we don't want to uh, fail, but we're often faced with an experience where in the past we have failed because we didn't time it right. We tried to do too much at a particular time. And this idea of just breaking it down just seems so fitting, such a good platform uh, for us to get into his methodology that he actually shares through the book. So what's so novel is in him learning to cook, he created a methodology and we're going to effectively spend the show together learning how to learn, which is really, really fun, isn't it, Mark? I can't wait. I can't wait to get into the, the next bit of the show. Uh, it's going to be um, a lot of fun, Mike. Now, um, we've been talking about learning one new behavior at a time. And Mark, I, I really feel like we've got one new behavior. We'd love to invite our listeners uh, to participate in. Have, does anything come to mind? <laughs> it does. So I, I, uh, our um, request or our, our, our challenge, I suppose, our bit of homework, dear listener, mm-hmm. is to open up Apple Podcasts or your podcasting app of choice and scooting on down to those little stars and that little area that says write a review and just posting a little bit of feedback to us, a little bit of um, commentary on if you're listening to our show each week and you're enjoying us learning out loud with some of these listeners from Tim Ferriss through Adam Grant all the way down to Lady Gaga and Zaha Hadid. If you are liking what you're hearing and you're enjoying the process that we're going on each week, leave us a little rating and review. Mm. Your interaction for us really helps get out the word into many, many other exciting and different markets around the world. And we really appreciate hearing from you listeners. Yeah. And I, I really just want to encourage everybody to, to jump into their podcast app, give us a rating or a review. We have uh, 112 uh, so far, and we're just so grateful to all of you, particularly those of you that bring those amazingly uh, creative usernames and tags and handles. Um, and you know, we have really have uh, great joy seeing, uh, your feedback, uh, to seeing your reviews and ratings, uh, as we welcome new listeners from Canada, Germany, Sweden. I mean, it is really remarkable to see that so many people, uh, really do want to learn out loud and together, learn from some of the greatest innovators on the planet and to, to make ourselves just that bit better. So. We really are grateful uh, to you for your feedback, for spending time with us as we learn out loud. And it's so fitting that we are doing Tim Ferriss today, who is really, it's really remarkable that it's the first time that we've actually dived into the art of learning to learn. So Mark, now that we have introduced one new behavior to our listeners, where do we go next on this this supposed method of Mr. Tim Ferriss. Well, we know that the four-hour chef is all about Tim Ferriss in the kitchen. He's found this way of showing you and I and our listeners and the readers 
about how to begin your journey uh, to learn. You know, this journey of, of being uh, taught, uh, taking it away from an abstract concept and put it into the kitchen. We've heard Ferris already tell us a little bit about the challenge of sticking to it. So now let's get into practicalities, Mike. I want to know what Tim's going to tell me about how I can begin being a better um, learner or learnee from today onwards. So th- this next section of the show and this first clip that we're going to hear is Tim Ferriss introducing us to his common method that he's found that experts use in the kitchen, but also everywhere else in a number of different business sectors. And it's called DSSS. So this first clip we're going to hear from Tim is his introduction to DSSS and how you can take something really big and break it down. There are actual methods, recipes that the world's fastest learners use to learn what they learn, whether that's Daniel Tammet in the UK who learned Icelandic in seven days well enough to be interviewed on TV, whether that's Ed Cook, who, is, who plays a pretty big part in the book, who trained Joshua Four from zero to national memory champion in the US, which was chronicled in Moonwalking with Einstein. There is a method to this stuff. Uh, tango, fighting, marksmanship, cooking, languages, there are methods. And this was the common method that I, that I distilled from many of these different experts. Uh, DIS, this is an acronym, of course, and it stands for Deconstruction, Selection, Sequencing, and Stakes. And I'm going to breeze through this pretty quickly. I'll give a few examples of what I mean, then a few takeaways, and then we can jump into Q&A. But this is the basic process. So deconstruction is taking something very big and intimidating, like learning how to swim. I couldn't swim until three years ago, and I grew up on Long Island. How embarrassing is that? Uh, but I was deathly afraid of swimming. I'd had a couple of dr- semi-drowning experiences, have trouble with my left lung. So I took swimming and broke it down into, okay, but what, what are the arms doing in freestyle? What are the legs doing in freestyle? Learning to swim is too big, just like learning a language. And then what are my failure points, my personal failure points? What's, why haven't I learned this already? So for me, it was every time I went in to try to take a class, I would be given a kickboard. And I would say, all right, do a couple laps, and then uh, we'll get you started. And I would flail around like a drowning monkey, and I wouldn't move. And I would just be embarrassed, exhausted, and I would quit. So I was like, all right, how would I learn to swim if I, if I had to avoid kicking? All right? and, it, and it gives you a specificity to then look for the answers. And through a friend of mine named Chris Saka, some of you may know, very astute investor, who was terrible at swimming and then completed an Ironman, I found total immersion method, which guess what? Doesn't really use kicking. Uh, so deconstruction is taking something really big and making it more tackleable. Deconstruction is, for me, the very essence of making the fear go away. You know, I've often talked on the show, Mark, about when you break something down that's been really concerning you, that's been really worrying you, you often find that there are some uncomfortable truths in there. But actually, when you break it down, you already start to feel better because you're completely um, moving away from seeing something big and all the unknowns and you're going into something specific. You can see it's made up of a series of parts and you just systematically work your way through it. So for me, I think the art of deconstruction, whenever you want to learn something new, is is really important. And that's why I always try and uh, write a table of contents. If I'm trying to learn a new skill or, or a topic, um, I try and write a table of contents with you know the 
five main parts, the five key components as a way to deconstructing. And I, I really love um, this whole art of deconstructing. In fact, I think this is one of the most exciting things about learning a new skill, solving a problem, is that it's the deconstruction is where you sort of kind of learn the topography and the landscape of whatever the thing you're trying to learn is. I think this is um, just such a, a magic moment. So I want to ask you, Mark, when you're trying to learn a new thing and if you're going to start deconstructing things, how, when you're deconstructing, how do you tend to do it? What are the tools? What are the approaches you use? I, I like your, your suggestion, writing the tables of content. I, yeah, totally. Clever way because what you're doing there is essentially building the foundation or the skeleton then you can go and build on later. I quite like that. I think a deconstruction for me would try and make it um, continue building on, on your example there is trying to make it graphic or visual. I think I, I, I quite like using the whiteboards that we have in the office. I like to draw up journeys or, or timings or whatever it might be. Let's assume it's one big project. Let's physically draw it as a big square and then maybe break off um, and remove little items that make up that bigger picture. So I think there's an element of a formula being um, built into the deconstruction method. And if you think mm. about getting to a number and getting to that number is just a series of um, additions, subtractions, multiplications, <laughs> whatever it might be, when you can start to almost break it down into a formula and pull out those little items Mm. cells, suddenly they feel a little bit more bite-sized, a little bit easier to, to, to figure out. I mean, I remember for me going back to when I was, um, I, I learned Mandarin for a few years, a few years. Oh, ago. wow. And, you know, it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you think, oh, I can't learn that language. But actually, when you break it down into the way that I think, um, you know, people like myself who, who speak English and uh, try to learn that new skill, you do break it down. You don't jump straight into the characters. You learn using uh, familiar alphabets that you and I use, and then you work up towards it once you've grasped the basics. Mm. So working through pinyin and working through different pronunciations, and then eventually removing those elements and replacing them with the actual final product. Again, like this idea of formula. If you've got through half of the way and you've got there, okay, well now let's move on to the second half of the formula. And I think that's just a level of deconstruction, isn't it? I think yes. what we're starting to see here. Yeah, yeah. So for, for me, I'm going to build on this and give you and all of our listeners a bit of a Mike Parsons hack here. So... <clears throat> If you want to kind of deconstruct anything, uh, one of the great things you can put into Google is the topic and then the word framework. So uh, to give you an idea of that, I've just done two different things that are of interest to me. Uh, and interestingly, they're not even work-related where you're going to get a lot more matching um, uh, results with the word framework. So I've taken rugby coaching, okay, and I put rugby coaching framework. And I have been presented with all of these results and you get lots of, um, lots of good uh, standard Google results. But my big cheat is go to the images tab in Google 
And here I've just found a whole stack of uh, tools, high-performance pathway coaching, uh, the coaching solar system, um, performance support growth, concepts from, from uh, a rugby uh, foundation, future rugby participation framework. Now, what's really interesting is the words framework, methodology, and concept are these ways to get a really quick um, uh, deconstruction of a topic. So I've just done exactly the same with um, Tim Ferriss, and I put learn to cook framework. And then I've got identity, uh, process of cooking, uh, situational drivers. Then I've got uh, an impact industry accelerator and all the different things that they're teaching. So I think whenever you're sitting there and you're looking to get some help and some inspiration around deconstructing a topic, just type it into Google and try putting at the end of your search query the word framework, or if that doesn't work, methodology, process, uh, strategic, strategic framework, these sorts of things. And then they kind of break it down for you. And it can be a very fast track way of going, oh, I see. There seems to be like uh, eight pillars to this particular topic. Um, you know, and this kind of gives you the bits that you can start to isolate and you can start to make some choices on where you want to start, where you want to go. You might say, well, I'll do that later. I'll start here earlier. But I find the classic framework uh, search query in Google, it just gives so much goodness, Mark. Oh, that's a great Mike Parsons hack. <laughs> I mean, something that you've heard me talk about many, many times is, is writing a journal. And I've begun doing it, you know, based on your recommendation, Mike, one day, uh, sorry, one word a day and so on. Yep. And I've done the, exactly what you just said, writing a journal framework into Google, Google Images. Mm -hmm. And already I can see different frameworks from a number of different sites that encourage this reflective learning in very, very easy to understand frameworks. And I mean, talk about an easy way, <laughs> you know, ripping off the Band-Aid and breaking it down into simple Yeah direction. Yeah. It makes perfect sense to me. Right? Yeah. I mean, look at that. So we've got rugby coaching, learning to cook and journaling. Yeah. And look, I've just got a result here for cognitive journaling and it gives a full breakout on, you know, logic, congruence, flexibility. I mean, I wow. It would have taken me months to maybe even have got half of these ideas and here they are. Um, all that inspiration is right, is right there. Uh, the deconstruction, but I, Mark, I believe Tim's got some, he's got a few more characters left in his acronym. So where should we go next? He does. We shouldn't, uh, you know, get carried away because you're right, Tim Ferriss, he's going to tell us a little bit um, about this, the first S in the this methodology. Um, this is something that our listeners will be familiar with if they'd listened to episode 95, the four-hour work week, the 80-20 rule. So this clip is from Tim Ferriss telling us about that first S for selection. Selection is a common thread through all of the books that I've written. This is the 80-20 analysis. So what are the 20% of tools, activities, approaches, coaches, whatever it might be, that will get you 80% or more of the outcomes, the results that you want? This is really easily applied to languages. Uh, 
like most people, when I studied Spanish in junior high and whatnot, I was terrible. I couldn't, couldn't string a basic conversation together for 30 seconds after three years of studying. And I concluded I was bad at languages. No, not so. I just had things all mixed up. If you instead look to someone like Michelle Thomas, M-I-C-H-E-L Thomas, his original audio recordings, who was a Holocaust survivor, then an intelligence officer in Europe, you could, you could acquire the basics of Spanish grammar in two or three days. And then if you used flashcards like vised.com, V-I-S-E-D.com, which are high-frequency word, uh, word lists and flashcards, you could become functionally fluent in a language like Spanish in eight to 12 weeks without that much difficulty. And I say that now because I've applied this to Japanese, Chinese, Mandarin Chinese, uh, German, Spanish, and so on. It's, it's very replicable. Yeah, selection. So for me, what comes to my mind there, what I, when he was talking about language, is being somebody who's lived in different parts of the world and, and has had to speak a few different languages, to me, the classic choice we should all make here is to learn street and conversational language first, right? Learn how to, the survival stuff, like how to go to the store, get your food, how to order in a restaurant, how to get around, how to ask where places are. I mean, that's going to give you a, a, a lot uh, back. And what's really interesting is that you will see in a lot of skills and a lot of different paradigms, there are actually always a couple of things that become the the essentials. You know, you talk about um, uh, cooking. Obviously, you've got breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You talk about rugby coaching. You've got offense and defense. You've got tackling. You've got passing. Those there are some. There's always a couple of key things that make up a big part of the experience, which gives you the chance to say, "Well, if I learn this, I'm already." It might only be one of five parts, but it's the predominant practice. Uh, within this skill and so forth. And I think this is where um, you see a little bit Tim Ferriss's whole thing, which is he's always challenging us with this idea of where you spend your time. Obviously, that was a big part of the first book, The 4-Hour Workweek. But you can see here he's he's really trying to challenge us to like pick the thing that gives you the most feedback, that gives you the biggest yield, isn't he? Mm, yeah, he is. You're right. And And again... I think referring back to your example, Mike, of figuring out what gives you the greatest value is learning that conversational or, or street language. That's, that's the perfect um, kind of metaphor for this, isn't it? You know, again, if you're in the kitchen, let's learn the, the stuff that's going to give you the most back, first of all, right. because right. then it will build that confidence. Yes. And then you won't want to give up so quickly. So mm. for me, that feels like a big... Uh, the takeaway, once you've broken down and you understand the selection and therefore the priorities, I guess, mm. can have that more confident uh, feeling every time that you enter into the kitchen or go out into the shop in, in another land where you don't speak their language. So let's go back to your, um, uh, one of your examples. If, if you were learning gymnastics, how would you actually work out uh, which 20% gives you the 80% of the outcome? How do you actually go about that? Yeah, so back a, a few years ago, I did a little bit of um, uh, gymnastics and I remember the the core elements that you would get taught were mm -hmm. on the bars, uh, sorry, on the um, the ring, the ring pulls. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You can imagine those hanging down with with material. And the idea was to not only build some strength in order to pull yourself up and so on, but also give you, I think, the confidence to go up and under and know that your arms won't twist in funny ways or you mm. drop and land on your head. So actually, I think the deconstruction method there, obviously, I wasn't doing backflips or tightrope <laughs> <laughs> walking or anything like that. But I think just from a deconstruction perspective and focusing on that 80-20 approach that Ferris is talking about, you know, focusing on one skill that gradually opens up different avenues and different methods of um, maybe being active, maybe learning the fundamentals or the basics of one move. And I suppose it's the same with maybe martial arts. But, but, but Mark, let me, but let me go back to the question. How did you know? Let's um, unpack it even further. How did you know where, what was going to be uh, the 80-20 rule? Like, how did you know to do that? Oh, I had a teacher. He, 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 ah, right. Yeah. So where I'm driving at here is I think whenever we're learning something, the most important thing is don't just charge off like a bullet a gate. Like don't just jump on YouTube or grab an ebook or whatever. I think it's really important to go and ask practitioners, hey, where do you think the most used uh, part of this practice is? What is the essential starting point? Like, for example, if someone came to me and said, okay, I would love my, uh, my child to learn to play rugby, what would you do first? And I would say, you know what? Learning to tackle properly and safely is so fundamental and I would start there. Now, if you were new to rugby, you might say, well, let's get into kicking and passing. Now, those are important too, but I think, you know, learning to tackle really essential. So I think if we all want to know what is going to give us the highest yield, where should we select following Tim's method? For me, what I find myself doing is asking others. And I think that's how we know where to spend our time best, right? Yeah, you're totally right. Let's dig into those who have spent the time maybe learning or applying it themselves and just ask them, where's mm. the simplest place? Where, what do you recommend? Where can I go to learn and begin? And, and I always find it amazing that when you ask people who are experts and say, hey, listen, you obviously really know what you're doing. I'd love to learn some of these things. Where would you suggest I start? And do you know what's funny? I think people find it such such a joy to share knowledge, to help others. Um, you know, I don't really remember um, facing many rejections at all when I've asked people uh, for that sort of advice. So I don't think we should be scared to ask. I think actively reach out because then you know that you're investing your time. You've chosen you've got kind of deconstructed things, you've then selected using the second character here. So the first is the D for deconstruction. Now we're into S, now we've selected the right place to put our time and energy. I think that's so, so good because everything that comes after that is just great because you've broken it down, you're learning one thing at a time, you've selected the highest yield thing. I mean, we are off to the races, Mark. We're off to the races, so let's keep on keep on this amazing track, and let's hear from Tim Ferriss telling us what that second S is: S for sequencing. 
Sequencing. This is something that I don't think has been addressed very well by other books. And there aren't really many books on accelerated learning to begin with. Sequencing is kind of the secret sauce. Uh, so a friend of mine, for instance, uh, Josh Waitzkin, does anyone know that name? He was the basis for a book and a movie called Searching for Bobby Fischer. He's one of the most incredible chess players in the world. Opted out of the scene after all the attention from Searching for Bobby Fischer, but the way he, had, he was originally taught chess by his first really formal coach was backwards. He learned from the end game first. So instead of starting with openings, which everyone does, he began with pawn and king versus pawn to learn flexible principles and techniques that could apply everywhere. And as a result, his rate of progress was much faster. When I learned uh, tango in Argentina, which was a complete accident, but from my first class to the world championships was five and a half months. And part of the reason I was able to make that rate of progress is because I looked at how to play with the sequencing. And I learned the female role first. I learned how to follow before I learned how to lead. And it allowed me to pr progress much, much faster. Uh, there, there are a lot of very good coaches who would, who would also focus on sequencing. Stan Utley, who's a very well-known short game, i.e. putting and whatnot, golf coach, says people come to me all the time. They say, how's my form? How's my form? Can you correct my form? He's like, your form is fine. You're just moving the pieces out of order. Ooh. Now, I love this because, you know, your first uh, thought is if you're going to learn to tango and you're a dude, you learn the dude's role. But what was fascinating Right? Is Tim learned the woman's role first. Mm. And, and he learned it out of sequence. He, he reversed things up, changed things up. I think that's very cool. And I, I just would never have thought to have done it like that. I just would have gone best practice, right? Yeah, I, I, I actually really like this one, this idea of sequencing, because it calls a couple of different things to my mind. Do you start by learning the hardest bit first? Do you learn the... Uh, most unusual moment first? Do you just learn the end game, you know, similar with the chess example? Mm. Just learn how to, to finish the game, how to putt, and then you can almost work backwards. This, this totally turns, I think, it on its head, whereby if you're challenged with a particular problem, you've broken it down, you're exploring the different selection, okay, well, where do I start to get the most value? But actually, learning it out of sequence is turning it a little bit around, right? Mm. Doing it in a slightly different way. And maybe the reason why Tim found it so valuable and, you know, obviously why he's put it into his, his methodology here is because it teaches versatility. Yeah. He, he learned the, the female um, role within tango first. And therefore, when it came to actually doing the male-led version, he knew what his partner would be doing. So actually, he sort of learned both ways at the same time. Mm. If, and, and he's ultimately flexible there. Yeah, and so what, what he's doing here is he's effectively saying, what's the most effective order for learning these units? And I think part of this is obviously that if we challenge the status quo, um, if we actually look at... Um, the convention, the convention may not necessarily be the most effective way. And uh, it's kind of exciting to, to think about because then you're like, okay, I'm challenging all the, all the common constraints or the, uh, you know, the de facto standards. <laughs> but isn't it good that, that he, what we're learning from this is you can ask yourself, well, okay, what is the most effective order? And if it's different, 
to how the world does it, well then give it a go. And I, I, I think that building on your last point, Mike, with regards to seeking out somebody who's got that experience and getting a little bit of advice may be able to guide you to finding out that sequence. Because mm. otherwise, I guess the challenge for all of us would be, well, what do I need to begin with? Where would I do things out of sequence? I suppose you do need that little bit of recommendation from somebody who's sure. down that path. Sure. And I think, um, I think you need to, to, the key thing you need to do here is visualize the learning journey mm. um, and uh, almost draw a map. And there's, you know, 10 stops on the map to the final destination. So that you can kind of look at the order visually um, and that would obviously be easy to do if you've done that deconstruction beforehand, then you can sort of place them in, um, you know, sort of card sorting activity. You can move them around and work out, well, you know, what is it that I want to do first? I mean, and this, this for me is very exciting because um, when you do use these tools, you start to um, see um, a path, you can see a pattern, you can see the the picture emerging and i think the uh, emotional response is we shift from fear towards excitement we start to anticipate it's like oh it's not that hard oh if i do this then that and then somewhere in there we start to build that confidence to really go after it and i think that's why this approach is so powerful and i see it when i do apply things like this in my life that's where i see my confidence stemming from because you know, I've deconstructed it, I've selected the things that matter, and now I've got sort of a map of all the different opportunities to learn. Now, Mark, while we're thinking about maps and places you can go to learn lots of different things, there is a place way, way, way out on the internet where people can get 96 different episodes of a particular show jam-packed with learning out loud. Do you recall where that might be? I do. And I don't even need a common uh, acronym to remember. It is, dear listeners, www.moonshots.io. You can find all 96 episodes up there on moonshots.io. You can find our show notes. You can find links to some of the models and the frameworks that we've discussed in the past, as well as transcriptions for many, many of the different episodes and also some mantras that'll keep you motivated throughout your day. So moonshots.io is our destination destination of recommended choice. Nice, nice. Now, uh, Mark, recap for us. Where are we on this, um, uh, this big uh, four-hour chef by Tim Ferriss acronym? He's giving us the model, the meta model, learning how to learn. Where are we and what's the next letter in the acronym. Well, so far, Tim has told us how to deconstruct a problem, break it down so that you can learn the key values and make it easier to process. He's told us about selection, the idea of the 80-20 rule and focusing on what's really, really key to deliver the most value. He's told us his secret source, which is sequencing, perhaps doing things in a slightly different order that you may not have thought about before. And the fourth and final letter within his acronym of DSSS is S for stakes. Stakes is also very neglected. Uh, 
one of my friends, A.J. Jacobs, writes for Esquire. He's a hysterical, hysterical writer, a very good writer, too. The Year of uh, Living Biblically is one of my favorites. But when he was trying to lose weight, so he's a Jewish guy, he gave one of his friends a check to the KKK for $1,000 in his name. And he said, if I do not hit my weight loss goal, I want you to mail this to the KKK. <laughs> that is what we call an incentive. So for most people, they're like, oh, I'd love to learn to play the guitar. Oh, I'd love to lose weight. But if you fail at those things, nothing happens. You don't get fired from trying to learn the guitar. You just don't do it. So an easy way to create stakes, you know, betting pools with friends are one way. Uh, but you could also go to stick.com. I have no affiliation with it, S-T-I-C-K-K.com. It was originally set up by or conceived of by a Yale professor as a commitment store. Here's how it works. Take an amount of money that would be painful to lose, because you work a lot harder to avoid the stick than you will to get the carrot. So put in some money, it goes into escrow. And then you choose your goal. Let's just say it's guitar twice a week. Great. Then you choose your most merciless friend to be the referee. Then you choose an anti-charity. Right, so you have your merciless friend who's going to referee and confirm or deny that you did what you said you were going to do. And then you choose an anti-charity. Uh, currently, the most effective anti-charity is the George W. Bush Congressional Library. Um, right below that, this is from the stats. I'm not taking a position. I'm just saying. Right below that, you have pro-choice, pro-life, da, da, da. So whatever nonprofit you would rather nuke than give money to, choose that. Uh, and then if, you, if your friends uh, or another referee says you didn't follow directions, guess what? That money goes to that nonprofit in your name on the record forever. You will perform miracles. Like people who have no instruction whatsoever, it's just like, nope, I'm not even going to tell you how to lose weight, but you have to lose weight or this will go to the KKK. Man, miraculous. That is so good. And I think this speaks to one of the earlier clips on uh, people quitting. I, I think we're just, um, we don't make the stakes real. We don't make a real commitment to doing things, which is often why we don't share it. We don't go and seek advice because we're like, well, if nobody knows I tried to do it, then when I don't do it, nobody knows I failed. How beautiful is that? <laughs> but the truth is here, I mean, for me, like making the stakes real is a way to get really committed to learning a skill. Because look, I don't mind if you don't want to learn a skill, but I, I think about it for myself. If I don't really want to learn the skill, then don't do it at all, right? Spend the time doing something else, relaxing, uh, watching Netflix, whatever it is that you, that you want to do. For me, like if, if, if I have this moment where I say, I really want to learn this skill, to learn this thing, then let's get after it. Let's make it happen. Let's make the stakes real. And don't give, don't make quitting easy, right? Don't make uh, uh, quitting um, just as simple as a click. Get people involved, make some stakes, uh, be visible in this commitment. And then, you know what? Your good friends, they'll nudge you along. Don't you think, Mark? Don't, if, you, if you really uh, want to learn something, get some people involved and make the stakes real. Yeah, have a consequence. Yes. Give yourself yes. a... Uh, uh, there's one way, you know, Duhigg would have told us about the reward, you know, um, focusing, uh, understanding what that could be. And I, th I like where Ferris is going here, which is actually a punishment almost. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you don't stick to it, um, have a consequence. Make mm. it so that whether it's your partner, your best friend, your colleague, or whoever it is, or a family member, and they are accountable um, for that value 
whatever whatever you've put up for the stake, which I think is great. I, I really like where Ferris is coming from here. And if you don't make it, yeah, it's like imagine training for a triathlon or the Olympics. <laughs> You're going to put in the hours because there's a there's something at stake. Whereas yeah. If you're just thinking, oh, it would be, I'd, I've always wanted to learn Portuguese, but there's no need for it. This is mm. a, one of the, it's a totally um, uh, salient point here for, for me personally. When I was doing Mandarin, the reason why I stopped doing it was because I didn't have a need to do it. Right. I did it for two, three years and I'd reached a, a bit of a plateau whereby the only way to really make uh, any more progress would have been to actually speak it far more regularly and actually put it into practice. So what did I do? I, I quit. Mm. I, I, I didn't do it. I didn't follow through with it because fundamentally I didn't have that motivation to avoid a consequence. I didn't have that mm. motivation to go and seek out um, a particular benefit, I suppose. And something like uh, stick.com or holding myself <laughs> accountable probably would have helped there because I would have been encouraged rather than thinking, oh, I don't have a holiday plan, therefore, what's the point? Yeah. I would have still yeah. kept to it. I, I like this, this way of thinking about it. It's very, it holds you accountable. It's you are in charge of it. That's right. And, and what I, when I hear your story of learning Mandarin, I mean, what I would have now kind of in, embodying some Tim Ferriss thinking, I would have said, okay, have to learn it. I'm going to uh, watch uh, a television show in Mandarin mm -hmm. uh, every week or every day, and I would have had a. Um, I would add a thing like we're going to travel to China by a certain date, like book the holiday. So you so that creates an even greater need to have learned the language, right? Yeah, exactly. Have something in mind. That's a stake. Yeah. yeah. That's a stake, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You can have such a better holiday if you can at least have some good conversational. You can get around a lot easier and not feel like a, you know, a, a tourist sticking out like a sore thumb. Exactly. And what I love mm. about the, the DSSS that, that Ferris has just told us is he's breaking it all the way down, isn't he, Mike? He's saying, mm. well, if you're thinking about learning a new language, make it simple. Understand where to begin. Maybe do it out of sequence. But ultimately, this final S put something up for stake, you know, it's yeah. making sure you follow through with it. And yes. that for me is, is so, uh, I don't know, intriguing. I, I want to go and commit to something now. Yeah. Well, it, it, it kind of, it, it helps you with the resilience to stick to it, you know, to go to the language class on your, on your weekend when you're tired or get out your textbook, or, you know, whatever it is, it, it's, you know, we all need to create those conditions for success. Even, you know, the most productive uh, people in the universe can do with some incentives, some stakes to get it across the line. And uh, I, I think it is so wonderful uh, because I, I think what more than anything, what Tim has done for us today on the show with his DSSS uh, model is he has taken what can often be this enormous, overwhelming sense of, oh, I've got to learn a new thing, and it feels instantly doable. It's, it's within grasp now, um, and uh, it's, a, it's a real gift. But we're not 
quite finished yet with Tim, are we, Mo? No, we've got one more clip. It's been a, a, such a practical, driven cookbook that Tim Ferriss has taken us through this week. But this final clip is um, a little bit of an acknowledgement from Tim. You know, he's laid out the foundations for us. He's taught us how to stick to things. But this final clip is Tim telling us, it's okay, sometimes anomalies happen. And that's why cooking is a perfect metaphor for new skills. 10,000 hour rule applies in certain places, but not all places. And what I've had a lot of fun doing is seeking out the anomalies, not just where the groups condense, but looking for the really unusual anomalies. Somebody who learns Icelandic in seven days well enough to go on TV and be interviewed. Someone who can memorize it, has trained himself to memorize a deck of cards in 43 seconds, no matter how you shuffle it, with no real natural gift. Uh, Someone who learns to become a world-class swimmer at age 38, these anomalies. And then looking for the recipe, right, the step-by-step process that produces results over and over and over again that those people use, sort of identifying and distilling the recipe so other people can apply it. And I've just found that food is a great way to explore all of that because even if you never make a single recipe, if you learn to engage with food, your experience of every meal you have goes from black and white, good, bad, hot, cold, to HD in a million colors. And that is a really, really fun experience at the end. But I want people to take all of those things they've put on the shelf, like I can't swim, right? I couldn't swim until a few years ago. I can't ever play basketball because I was personally humiliated by a junior high coach way back in the day who said I dribbled like a caveman. So I was like, I'm bad at basketball, I could never do it. Take those things off the shelf or playing the guitar, whatever it is, those those skills you've retired and to really tackle them and become extremely, extremely good at them. Take them off the shelf because I think, you know, let's be honest, Mark, we all have things that we've come across in our life. Oh, I'd like to learn that, right? you know, and I'm sure we've got lots of them on the shelf. And I think that is just the perfect way to sum up uh, the four-hour chef, which is get them off the shelf one by one, take your time and use this DSSS model from Tim Ferriss and you'll be on your way to mastery. I mean, pretty cool stuff, right? Pretty cool. Uh, you know, I'm encouraged to revisit some of the skills that maybe I flirted with in my past maybe pick them up again off the shelf and maybe even think about some new ones. Uh, you know, now that I've got Tim Ferriss's, you know, secret model, I, I feel a little bit like things are going to be easier. Mm, mm, I totally agree. I totally agree. Well, what a ride, Mark. I mean, this has really broken it down. I guess the question for you is, if you could apply this to anything brand new, what would you apply it to? I guess I would apply it. Obviously, it would be very, very simple to, you know, we've heard a lot about language breakdowns and so on. I think it's um, a habit. I think a habit of sticking to, um, you know, maybe it's, I think for me, I'm going to, I'm going to break it down and uh, maybe even go to stick.com and, and promise myself, put up some stakes for writing that journal. But I've always discovered. Oh, very good, very good. I would love to learn how to compose music. Um, and I started the uh, the Dead Mouse Masterclass um, 
and I had a few insights there um, when he showed how he made music and I was like, oh, that's how they do it. I was like, oh, so good. Now I want to write some music. Um, so that would be my one. So yours is journaling. Mine is composing music and all of that comes from the book The 4-Hour Chef by Tim Ferriss. Oof, Mark, we're done. Are you ready? Oh, that's great. He's he's pumped me full of inspiration and guidance. You know, the second um, second of Tim Ferriss's series on the Moonshots podcast, I, I feel like we've covered this idea of breaking down time during your work week, breaking down new skills. I, Tim Ferriss just keeps on delivering. He does. And, and we haven't, we haven't finished the mission yet. What's next in the Tim Ferriss series? Next in our Tim Ferriss series is going to be a pretty popular book of his called Tools of Titans. This is going to be a really interesting one. It's shared and I suppose inspired a little bit by the four hour chef where he was speaking to sommeliers and so on. But Tools of Titans is actually uh, a tome basically of all of the, um, world-class performers that he's interviewed over the years and what are their tools of the trade. <laughs> nice. This is, this is getting, uh, I mean, this is total moonshots stuff, this. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you to you, Mark. Thanks for helping us pull together this show and really learning how to learn. I'm still a little bit shocked that there are so few experts who are out there teaching us to learn how to learn but we can thank today tim ferris for the four hour chef and as mike said we haven't finished on tim ferris yet we've got a couple more episodes in the adventures of author tim ferris well thank you to you mark thank you to you all of our listeners hopefully you've seen some dream some desired skill that's on the shelf and you've been able to pull it off by saying, hey, I can learn anything. And I think that's really the most important step in this journey. And what Tim Ferriss has given us is a little bit of a nudge, a little bit of a kick up the pants and say, come on, use my DSSS method and you'll be on your way. You'll break it down. You'll choose the right stuff to start on. You'll put it in the right damn order and you'll make the stakes matter. And by doing that, we can all go out there and acquire new skills, new behaviors that will truly help us on the mission that we're on. So whether we're building a company, whether we're growing a family, whether no matter what we are learning, this will help you realize the very best version of yourself. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Moonshots podcast with Tim Ferriss and the 4-Hour Chef. We hope that you're ready to go out and to grow and to be the very best version of yourself. We'll catch you next time on the Moonshots podcast. That's a wrap.